I'm very glad that the worship and the announcements have gone the way they've gone uh, in light of what I want to share this morning because Seema was talking and Michael also talking about the education of our children that we need to educate our children and our young people to follow on after us. This Wednesday prayer meeting on Wednesday night for me was very, very spirit-led, very good. Uh, Atanasio was asking us, he felt that God had inspired him to, to challenge us to pray for the education systems that our young people, our children, young people in schools and colleges, that they have to go through. I, I'm 56, 57, something like that, I keep on forgetting. <laughs> Do you know, when I look back at what I studied when I was in school, incredibly different from what they get today. Science has jumped forward and I was taught, you know, pretty, pretty vague stuff, stuff that wouldn't challenge your faith maybe quite so dramatically as it is today. And so what they're getting today in terms of, of, of science and physics and biology, what they're getting as a foundation for their worldview, a foundation, we send our kids out every day, we send our children off to university. But they're being taught, you know, the theory of evolution. They're being taught many theories about the origin of man. Many theories about the universe. And, and one thing that challenged me for years as a pastor, people go out into the world for like six days a week, you know, and we get 40 minutes or two hours maximum on a Sunday to try and counterbalance all of that input from the world. And I repeat, our kids are out there, our adults are out there when they go to university and they're surrounded, bombarded, immersed in a worldview that is pretty typically unbiblical, just about across the world. So I think we as churches should definitely aim to do more. Uh, to guide more, to advise more in this area. Another prayer point that was brought to us on Wednesday by Brian and Anne was, <laughs> Brian was saying, there's a lot of confusion. Isn't there a lot of confusion in the world with all the pandemics and the wars? And I thought it was a great prayer point because confusion is a weapon. You know that? Confusion is a weapon of the devil. Truly it is. You can be very secure in your faith, very confident that you know God, that you're walking in faith. But if you start to get surrounded by people who are confused, confusion is contagious, a bit like a virus, you know. <laughs> it's contagious. And you may not be confused, but when you go to that school, or you're in that college, or you're in that uni, or you're in that workplace, suddenly... The, the, the sureness of your foundation can very quickly be challenged. So I want to talk today, the title of today's message is The Theory of Everything. And I want to challenge some of the proposals of the education system, but also society at large. I mean, Christians are maligned today, sidelined today. And when you do evangelism, often people laugh in your face when you stop them to tell them about Jesus. They almost look at us as if we are stupid. I mean, you must be ridiculous if you believe such a thing. And the Bible tells us clearly that you and I should be ready to give an answer 
for what we believe. Ready means prepared. So we should discuss these things a multitude of times when you approach people in evangelism. They, they automatically go to their default, which is Darwin or something else. Automatically, you can see what the education system has done. Typically, when you stop people, either they believe in nothing, they believe in something, <laughs> but sadly, not enough believe in God. Let me start with this first point. Many people believe their theory is a theory of nothingness. Nothing. I, I was selling a house once this lady came to buy it from me and we got talking. I said, I'm a Christian. I'm a born again Christian. And she was not that interested in that. She was very dismissive of me. So I challenged her and I said, well, what do you believe? What's your theory? Huh? And I'll never forget her reply. She said, oh, I believe in nothing. I believe we came from nothing. And when we die... We go back to nothing. So, okay, so I said to her, you're not the only person who believes that. But I've got a few problems with that theory. <laughs> for example, name for me one thing that came from nothing. Name me one thing. If you see a car going down the street, did the car come from nothing? No. If you go to a restaurant and you order fish and chips, did the fish and chips come from nothing. No. If you see an apple or you see any created thing, name for me one thing that came from nothing. You can't. Because everything comes from something. And you're trying to deny that. And when you seek back to the beginning of this universe, for whatever reason, you say, oh, that came from nothing. That's a bit ridiculous to me. There's a school of study called nihilism. And that, that's the belief that nothing has any value, especially religion or moral beliefs or principles. And I tell you what, I, I follow American politics very closely. And America has been the superpower in the world for a long time. But what we're witnessing in just these last few years, for me, is the disintegration morally of the leading power that God has placed on this earth. The, the total disintegration of society, law and order are breaking down. Principles and values no longer have any real value. No pertinence. That's what we're seeing. Many years ago, there was a comedy program called Monty Python with John Cleese and Michael Palin, Eric Idle and all that lot. And they made a very sacrilegious movie. I've never seen it. Uh, it was called the life of Brian, and it, it was a life. It was the story of the life of Jesus. Very mocking movie, I believe. But there was one famous clip that used to be played from time to time from that movie, and it was the thief on the cross. And this is what the world gets taught: the thief on the cross is dying, and he says this: "What you got to lose? You know, you came from nothing, and you go back to nothing. So what you got to lose?" Nothing. <laughs> and that was pretty much that lady's belief. That was her stance. But I think it's a very foolish stance. You're eternal. You're going to go on forever and forever. You can't escape that. Time is an eternity. Eternity exists, friend. Listen, 
For a second to exist, there must be a minute. Correct? For a minute to exist, there must be an hour. For an hour to exist, there must be a day. For a day to exist, there must be a week, and a month, and a year, and a decade, and a millennium. And from time immemorial, men, our ancestors, have sat down and they've come to the conclusion that the beginning of time is a bit of a misnomer. <laughs> we are in eternity. And men accept that. We find ourselves in infinity. Because the same principle. For, a spa for the space between my fingers to exist, there must be space for that space. And there must be space for that space. And there must be space for that space. And isn't it ironic that lost people are willing to say that they believe in eternity? <laughs> they believe in infinity. But when it comes to themselves, they think, oh, not me. Eternity, that applies to like space and other things. But me, no, I'm nothing. That's a big mistake. Because you're not nothing. And you will exist forever in some capacity. You will either be with God or you will be separated from God. A part of you is eternal. Your spirit is eternal. And men get so frightened of that revelation, they run away from it. And they try and convince themselves of anything. The Bible says, listen carefully, that God has put eternity in you. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. And everything that we see as we open our eyes and look at this world, everything tells me that I am created by an eternal God and that I will go on forever. So will you. There is a part of you with today which is eternal. And that's your spirit. Lost or saved, you will exist forever in some capacity. And I think it's quite ridiculous to say that we came from nothing. It's illogical. Look, if there was a man standing here, and there's a loud bang, bang, and a bullet hits him, and he's dead, and the police come, and the police say to me, what happened? And I say, well, there was a big bang, and the bullet hit him. And he's dead, officer. <laughs> and the officer said, where did the bullet come from? And I say, nowhere. Nowhere. Nothing. The bang came from nowhere. The bullet came from nowhere. It's illogical. And the question is not really, what fired the bullet, right? The question is, who fired the bullet? And that your kids, for me also, we will be taught about the Big Bang Theory as, a, as an origin, if you like. But the question is not what began the universe. The question is who. And I trust most of you agree with me. But I would reinforce to our kids and to our youth and any who are challenged. Believe me, you did not come from nothing. God is the author of creation. But there are many in evangelism who believe in nothing. The second camp... I was witnessing recently to a guy. I was sitting there talking to him. I could see he was dismissing me. 
He was dismissing my discussions and my arguments. So I put the bowl back in his court and I said to him, Okay, what do you believe? What's your theory? Do you know what he said to me? Well, I believe in something. <laughs> so there are many who believe in nothing. And there are many who believe in something. And you will hear that something. That something is often referred to as a higher power. Science. Money. Evolution. Cults. Multiple faiths. Gurus. Politics. Hedonism. Whatever it might be. And people try and replace the God that is there with something. I believe in something. But that something has been revealed in Jesus Christ, friend. When the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, was walking through, through Athens, he said this, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found, found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. A statue to a God that they did not know. And Paul here is not encouraging them. To be honest, I think he's quite mocking them. He's saying, you know who God is. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what is made. So people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to sinful desires of sexual impurity and degrading of their bodies. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped created things rather than than the creator do you know what paul let me paraphrase what paul is saying here every person born in this world knows that there's a god everybody they know there's a god as creator but not as redeemer and paul is saying here they are without excuse for they exchanged they knew that god existed but they pushed him aside and they turned to worship science or to worship money or to worship people created things they moved and when they did that paul's not he's very strong here he's rejecting this behavior and calls them not just to know god as as creator which all men do but to repent of their sin and know him as redeemer know him as redeemer but that's what we see definitely today if you've ever wondered how some perfectly intelligent people can believe crazy things is that true or what some perfectly normal people perfectly intelligent people and you ask them what they believe and they tell you something you think that's crazy how can you believe that you know what that is they were born knowing god as creator they rejected that belief 
And they were given over, as Paul says, given over to darkness and a depraved mind. And the last category, I hope, is the category that we, we as Christians fall into and comes directly from the pages of this book. I believe that God tells us the theory of everything. He tells us where everything came from. This book is different from every other history book you're ever going to find. The scriptures begin earlier, cover more, and finish later than anything you're going to do in a history class. This covers all of history. This gives us more information about everything than anything else. And I would say this needs to be your foundation, needs to be mine. For example, prehistory, before anything came into creation. In Hebrews it says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was made out of what was not visible. Scripture tells us that it was God who created the heavens and the earth. Romans chapter 4 verse 17 says, He is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that are not. You know, relatively recently, the scientific world has made a discovery that all things, this desk, everything, our bodies, hold together through vibration. Everything is vibrating at a certain frequency. And that's what holds every physical thing together. A frequency of vibration. But if we would humble ourselves and read Genesis chapter 1. This is a microphone. Okay. And if you take off this little top here. That's a diaphragm. And that diaphragm picks up what it picks up vibration picks up vibration so when i speak it picks that up and then it trans it's a transmitter you've got the receiver right here so in the beginning god created how did god create if every if science is telling us everything holds together by vib vibration and in the beginning god said let there be light in the beginning god spoke and I believe if we're willing to humble ourselves, we can see the fingerprint of God in everything around us. And science continuously stumbles in to some, to some level of understanding of Scripture. Scripture, however, puts things very simply. Thank God for that. But I see God giving me an explanation before creation. Then he tells us about creation. In, the in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but the earth was formless and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And God said, let there be light. Bang! There was darkness. And God said, let there be light. He spoke and the world came into being. You know, Jesus Christ, when he's on earth, he said, don't you know you can have whatever you say? made in God's image, a reflection of that same power within us, if only we can see it. I see God prehistory. I see God in creation. And then he tells us about the fall, Genesis chapter 3. He tells us about everything. Tells us about everything, if we can just see it. In John's Gospel chapter 3, he tells us about redemption. For God so loved the world, 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In Acts chapter 1, they tell us about the return of Christ. The apostles were challenging the men in Galilee. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky with amazement? This same Jesus, who you have seen depart, will also return. So no matter where I look, I see God in everything, through everything, and having created everything. And I believe in Scripture that all things hold together by the power of His Word. I believe that he's all-powerful, omnipotent, all-present, and omniscient. Omniscient, can never say that word. All-knowing. In Colossians 1, it says this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, everything, everything, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, vibration, all things hold together, all things hold together. And I reject in Jesus' name the confusion of our education systems. I don't mind if I look foolish. I don't mind to look foolish. Don't let them confuse you. Don't let your foundations be challenged. I'll read it again. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him you were created. Hallelujah. And, and he created that which is visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That, my friend, covers everything. Covers absolutely everything. And by the way, when you look at the word everything, <laughs> the Bible has a lot to say about that word everything. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says to you, do you know that there's a time for everything? There's a time to live and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time for everything under the sun. The Bible says we should pray about everything. Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, it tells us that the kingdom of God is worth everything. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of value, he went out and sold. He sold everything. And he went and he bought it. Scripture tells us pray about everything. That the kingdom is worth everything. And you know what the Bible says? What does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? 
What does it profit a man if you spend your whole life chasing after the things of this life and you gain all of that and yet you, use your, you lose your soul? You know, there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and the Bible says he had many things. He had everything. And Jesus challenged him to repent, to turn to Jesus and to follow him. But the man couldn't give up his things, his possessions. Couldn't let it go. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? You know my conclusion on the theory of everything? It's very simple. He who has Jesus has everything. He who has Jesus has everything. And I tell you what, friends, he who thinks he has everything in this life but does not have Jesus, actually, you've got nothing. You're just temporarily deceived. The person with Jesus has everything. That's the pearl of great price. That's what we should seek. That's what we should be secure in. Don't spend your life seeking the things of this world. He who has Jesus has been given everything. And the things of this world will weigh you down and they will deceive you. He who does not have Jesus has nothing. I'll tell you a story. It's very sad for me to share this, but it's true and it happened to me some years ago. I had, a very, I had a friend who was very, very wealthy in Glasgow, very wealthy man, and I just met him once or twice, not a friend, an acquaintance. I met him through a friend and he gave me a lift one day and I was telling him about Jesus, telling him I was a pastor. and He wasn't interested. He had many, many money, very wealthy person. So he kind of dismissed me. And I would see him from time to time. He had everything and I had nothing, <laughs> but I got Jesus. And one day, you know, and sometimes the worship team will know what I'm talking about. Sometimes I get into a prophetic zone. I get into a creative moment, you know, and I go out of my house, right? <laughs> I normally go to a coffee shop and I sit down and God starts to speak to me. And I start, I, I, I create like fury. It's great. It's like a storm of creativity. But when I'm in that place, I just become I, I don't see anybody, I can't hear anything, I just go into a different world. And this day, I woke up, I just had the word of God in my heart. I went to a Costa Coffee in Glasgow, I sat down, and I was just in my zone. I can't see anybody, I can't hear anybody, I'm just with God. And when I finished, so hallelujah, put all my stuff in my briefcase, I stand up, and I look, and guess who's sitting watching me? <laughs> the rich guy, his name was Michael as well. The rich guy was sitting and he had been watching me. I, oh. So I went over to him and I said, hi, hi, Michael. Good to see you. Do you know what he did? He put his head down. I said, Mike, are you okay? Is something wrong? Michael, what's wrong? And you know, he slowly, slowly raised his head and he looked at me and he said this, you are a very, very lucky man. And you know, 
even in his lostness, he had, he had no motivation for life. He had everything. But as he sat in that coffee shop, I believe he could feel the presence of God. He could feel Jesus. And he just sat there and watched. And he wasn't crying, but he was crying on the inside. And I could see him thinking, I would give everything if only I could meet this God. And I sat there and I spoke to him. I said, Michael, don't let the things of this world weigh you down. Don't let it, you know, and I, I, I don't know how the story ended. He lived in an enormous mansion thing in a place called Bears Den in Glasgow. I don't know what happened to him. Sad story. The Bible tells the story of a man like that. He had great wealth, but he saw the kingdom. He went and he sold everything he had and he came back and he got it. This is everything. Jesus is everything. Our education systems are telling our children that Jesus is nothing. That's what they're doing. Across America, morality and principles have become nothing. And this, you must be joking if you're going to pick this up. Well, I'll tell you what, friends. Do you know what the theory of everything is? God created everything. God was before all things and he will be after all things. God has created you. And whether you like it or not, you will exist forever. Whether you like it or not, you are now, he has put eternity in your heart. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the heart of man. Now all you got to do is invite him in. By the way, he's not interested in taking all your stuff away. Keep your stuff. That's not the problem. The rich young ruler had a problem with that. He's not trying to get anything off you. He's trying to get salvation to you. So relax, relax, relax. I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. I had a large evangelism team in Glasgow, Nigerians. And we used to go down on the street. They were dancers and singers, some professional actors. And about 10 years ago, we used to go down on the street with music. And of all, because I did 10 years of evangelism on the streets of Glasgow, right in the middle of the commercial area, where you can buy everything, Buchanan Street, all the posh shops. And we used to go down and just stand there. We didn't preach much, <coughs> didn't need to. We had a backing track. Some of the guys just pick up. And they used to just sing Toby Mac, you know. We used to just sing out the song and just stand there. Do you know what, friends? Ah, the people walking by, you could feel them wanting Jesus Christ. You could feel them, th the desire to turn to God. So powerful when you challenge people with what's driving them. What's driving you today? You're going to gain, gain, gain. If today you've got Jesus, praise God. If today you've got a firm foundation, hang on to it. Hang on to him. Don't give everything up for nothing. Don't give everything up for nothing. Keep Jesus as your focus. Seek ye first. 
the kingdom of God. And all that other stuff will be given you anyway. He's the important part. 